some couple of the verses from that passage that Patrick read to us. Verses that we have taken as our motto, our motto text for the year in Bristol, that we're trying to learn by heart and trying not just to learn the words, but to act out the meaning of them. So what I'm talking about are words that are found in verses 19 and 20 of 2 Corinthians 5. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You see, it's so very necessary for us to remind ourselves that becoming a Christian is the beginning, not the end of the matter. We can think of it like a journey. We know that it's necessary to set off. You don't get anywhere unless you set off. But unless you keep going and get to the destination, then the journey is of no value. We might compare it to getting married. The wedding day is a wonderful occasion. Our family, our friends, our new family all celebrate with us and wish us well. And it's a wonderful time. And then we come back from honeymoon and reality kicks in. And it's now about getting down to the stick and lift of a new life. Learning new routines, new lifestyles, and having to think more carefully about someone else rather than just pleasing ourselves. And so with being a Christian, we set off full of excitement with good wishes and support of the church and other Christians around us. And there's something lovely, isn't there, about the excitement and the enthusiasm of a new Christian, of somebody who's found saving faith in the Lord Jesus. But the problem is, we can't always be the beginner. We have to get on with being a Christian in the real world. That's the world that Chris was telling us about when he was up here, the situation he faces at work. We have to live with and for Christ in a hostile world. So we need to give some thought to what Christ expects us to be doing, what role he wants us to take on as we wait for his return. Now, of course, he gives to us as individuals special gifts. He doesn't expect everyone to be a pastor or a teacher or a public figure. We're not all going to be musicians or organisers or DIYers or caterers or sound technicians or whatever it is. But there is a ministry and a role that he expects all of us to be undertaking and to be using those individual skills and gifts in that role. What is very clear is that we are not to isolate ourselves from the world. We're not to cut off contact and communication with the world. 
We're not called to live a monastic life, shut away from the people of this world. We're not to spend all our time in some Christian bubble, some ghetto community that never interacts with the world. But equally, and this is the challenge, we are not to live and think and act as the people of the world do. We are to be different and yet involved. John 17 and verse 14, that great high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus, he prays for us and he says to his father, I have given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. And then Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 and 9 says, I've written you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, but not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral or greedy or swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave the world. And then again in 2 Corinthians 10 and 3, Paul says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. So these verses that we are considering are absolutely vital if we are going to get this right. If our thinking is wrong at this point, we will never succeed in being the people our God wants us to be. We shall fail him, we shall fail ourselves, and significantly we shall fail the people of this world who desperately need to hear the message that only we can bring to them. But if we get the principle right then we shall be able to work out how to live and engage with the people and the activities of this world. And it's really important to realise that God's word does lay down a principle, but not a code of conduct with a simple checklist. So, for this very reason, it's wholly possible that different Christians will apply the principle in different ways and reach different conclusions. So we need to be prayerful and supportive of one another, slow to condemn, generous towards those who act differently from ourselves. We must not rule on issues where scripture does not rule. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't help and challenge. And if we believe genuinely somebody's getting something wrong, then it's right for us to challenge and discuss with them. But at the same time, we must be ready to listen to those who feel that we've got it wrong at some point. The picture that Paul uses in these verses is very powerful. And yet it packs in some very challenging matters for us. So what I want us to do is to unpack some of these issues 
and see the help that Paul has for us. So I've got three headings as we seek to apply the passage to ourselves. I want us to think about the ministry, the ambassador, and the embassy. And we'll take them one at a time. Let's start with the ministry. It is the ministry of reconciliation. Now, to understand the world that we live in, we need to understand why it is as it is. Why is there sadness, illness, inequality, disappointment, famine, disaster, warfare? Why is there crime? Why do bad things happen to seemingly good people? Why is there suffering and death itself? How can the world be made better? Is it the fault of our political systems, our leaders? If we change a government, will that make all the difference? Is it the failure of education? Is it the lack of discipline and respect in our schools? Is it the inevitable crisis of capitalism or the failure of communism? Is that why the world has the troubles that it currently has? Is it the destruction of the environment or an obsession with climate change? Will changing any of those things make our world better? Well, the Bible's answer is very clear. It is the presence of sin in this world that produces all those problems. Changing the system can only make small temporary changes, but it won't solve the real issues. It's like putting a sticking plaster on a serious wound. It might slow the bleeding for a little while but it won't deal with the real problem. And further still, this thing called sin has an even worse consequence for us as human beings. Not only does it spoil the world that we live in, but it separates us. It separates us from a holy and a sovereign God. And it does it for very clear reasons, because he is perfect. And as our maker, he demands perfection from us. And we do not and we cannot meet that expectation. We cannot reach that perfection. And so we remain alienated from him and under his condemnation. And yes, his curse upon us and upon our world. So humanity's greatest need is not firstly dealing with all those problems of the world that we listed, but rather the great need of humanity is to be restored to a proper and lasting relationship with God. Or as our passage describes it, we need to be reconciled, reconciled to God. That is our great need. 
the great need of all humanity. And the wonderful news is that though we are helpless in the matter, God has taken the initiative and he has brought about a means of reconciliation. And that's amazing when you think about it because he is the wronged party. How often when we are in dispute with someone, we end up saying things like, let them make the first move. If they apologise to me, then I'll accept it. But God doesn't act like that. God doesn't wait for us to make the first move. He makes it. He doesn't wait for us to apologise. He acts. God reconciles us through Christ. That's the message. Through his son. His son taking our place. His son being punished even by death in our place. And he requires only that we trust in him alone. Accepting it as a gift Accepting as a gift what we cannot even begin to do for ourselves. And if you know what it is to be reconciled, if you're sat here tonight as one who has been reconciled through Christ, then you might ask, what can I do? What can I do to show my gratitude? What can I do in return? And the answer is, there's nothing you can do to pay him back. But what you can do is to share this good news with others. Because he has given to us the message of reconciliation. He's given it to us, not merely for our benefit, but that we might share it with others. This is all of God. And in a world of selfishness, in a world full of hatred and division, the news that we are to take to the world is of reconciliation. Whilst others seek to divide and stir up one group against another, we are to bring this news of peace and restoration and unity. And if you really want to see men and women at peace with one another, then you need to realise that it will only ever be achieved when they are firstly reconciled to God. There will never be true reconciliation with one another unless and until we are reconciled to God. And then as the children of God, we become members of one family and all the unity and delight that that brings. And it is all of God's doing. And it's amazing that having reconciled us to himself, he actually gives us this ministry of taking the reconciliation to others. So what we have to do is to work out how we can play our part in that work for him. What can we do in that ministry of reconciliation? How can we 
proclaim and project that message of reconciliation. And the picture that's used in the text here that Paul brings to us is the idea of being Christ's ambassadors. It tells us he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore, in other words, as a consequence of having been given this message of reconciliation, a consequence is that we are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. I'm told that to be called to be the British ambassador to the United States is generally considered to be the greatest honour of our diplomatic system in this country. It's the greatest honour that can be awarded. It has to be someone chosen and trusted by the leaders of our nation, approved by the head of state. And forgive me if I'm doing any of you a disservice, but I suspect that none of us here have the skills, the connections, the experience, the ability to carry out the role of being the British ambassador in Washington. I doubt whether any of us will ever have that honour. Sorry, if, if, if you're in line for it, come and have a word with me afterwards. I'll, I'll be very impressed, I promise. And yet, get this into your head. A monarch far greater than Charles Windsor has appointed you, my Christian friend, to be his ambassador. And not just his ambassador to the United States, but his ambassador to this whole world. And you ask, well, what qualifies me to take on that role? What qualifies me to receive that honour? And the answer is quite simple from the text. It is because he has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, you know the reality and the power of the message that he wants you to spread. You know because it has worked in your life. You're not selling some item or some experience that you've only read about or been on a sales course for. You're not sharing a sales pitch, but you are sharing the news that has transformed your life. And you can indeed confirm that it has brought about reconciliation with God. It, that's what it achieves because you have been reconciled to God. Now, it is an interesting role to be an ambassador. It goes way beyond salesman, advocate, messenger. It's a position of dignity and honour. What does an ambassador do? They represent one nation to another. They remain a citizen of their home nation, but live and serve in another country. Unlike an immigrant, they are not expected to integrate or take up the lifestyle of where they are living. They are not to express their own views 
or further their own ends, but they are to represent the nation that has sent them. And their lifestyle and their words have to be exemplary or else judgments will be made about the country that they represent, where they've come from. And I think that is a really helpful way to think about how we should be living. We are citizens of heaven. That is our home country as Christians. We are citizens of heaven, living as Christ's representatives in this world. That means that we must show respect for this world and its people, but we are not to live their lifestyle. We are to live the lifestyle of our home country. We are citizens of heaven and that is how we are to live here. We are to promote our home country. We are to make it seem attractive and welcoming and receptive. We are to proclaim that our monarch is willing to be reconciled with the people of this world. And we are the living proof of that. An ambassador who is indistinguishable from the people he's living amongst, or an ambassador who simply keeps his head down and is invisible, He's of no use to his home country. And such an ambassador would almost certainly be brought back home in disgrace. We need to live conscious of who we represent and the honour he does us in being known as his representatives in this world. And if that sounds such a horrendous task to take on. Remember this, an ambassador returns home at the end of their tour of duty. And generally, when that tour of duty is over and the ambassador goes back to their home country, they are received with reward for their service. They are welcomed back so that however hard we find our role here, whatever sacrifices we make for our king, one day we will go home to him. We will go back to our homeland. We will live there with him. And I'm sure he will welcome us as we come home. And we will live in his presence forever. And he will share his glory with us. Because that's what happens when an ambassador goes home. And that's what happens when the Lord Jesus receives his people home to him for eternity. So we've thought about the message. We've thought about being ambassadors. I just quickly want to give a little bit of thought to embassy. Now, the passage doesn't push this illustration of being ambassadors to the point of asking, what about the embassy? But I think we need to give it a little bit of thought. You see, ambassadors live and work in embassies. 
These are places in the host nation that are legally and territorially part of the sending nation. I don't know whether you know that, but for instance, the US Embassy in Grosvenor Square in London, within that embassy, it is subject to the laws and regulations of the United States, not of this country. The British Embassy in Paris is subject to the laws and rules of the United Kingdom, not of France. The embassy is a very special place. An embassy is the place that you would think of first if you wanted to find out about a country. It's the place where you would turn to if you wanted to go to that country. I have a young Nigerian lad living with me at the moment. In order to be able to come to this country, he had to get a visa. Where did he go to get his visa to be able to come here? He went to the British Embassy in Lagos. That's what you do. You'd expect the embassy staff to be able to tell you what opportunities there are and how you qualify for entry. So I simply ask the question, do our homes, our churches, our activities, even our conversations, do they fulfill that role for our God? Do we commend our homeland? Can we tell others how they can get entry? Do those around us see us as a source of that information? Where do people turn when they want to know about God and about salvation and about reconciliation? Do they know where to come, where to find out? Are we approachable? Do we make that information easily accessible to them? Do we serve as representatives of grace? If our embassy is closed or unwelcoming, then don't be surprised if people look elsewhere and ignore us. There is a role for the thought of embassy where ambassadors are based. So let's draw this to a close. Let's be thankful for the ministry of reconciliation. Let's be ready to share it. Let's appreciate the honour that Christ does us in appointing us as his ambassadors. Let's work hard in that honoured role. Not condemning those around us, but showing them that there is a better way, that there is a better reconciliation, there is a better way to live, and there is a better country to be had. And then when the time comes for our return home, let's go rejoicing. Let's go rejoicing at what has been done in his service. And let's be ready to spend eternity with the one we've been so privileged to represent now and the one for whom we will be with forever and ever, sharing his glories in our true homeland. Amen.